welcome to Conversations About Life. Good coffee. Thank you. Mm. You're welcome. Well, thanks, Joe, for getting together with me. My pleasure. We um, met at uh, we met in the sauna. We were talking with um, another person, and um, I think he was talking about he's into um, that was Dave. Yes, into um, kind of self improvement, meditation, uh, the law of attraction, kind of some of these trendy things, and um, and then uh, I asked you if you wanted to be on the podcast. And just now you were telling me that um, you're a journalist. Mm-hmm. So are you a freelance journalist? Well, yes and no. <laughs> um, actually, I mean, the way journalism is today, you know, uh, there's the, the industry has been decimated by the Internet. Uh, I always say that uh, the Internet to journalism was like the meteorite to dinosaurs. And so it's changed everything. And so... You really got. You can't just be a, a one-trick pony in journalism. And if you're lucky enough to have a full-time job, you definitely probably have some side gigs as a freelancer. So, and that's what I've got. Um, I'm really a sports writer by trade, um, but covering the courts pays a lot more. <laughs> covering the what? Covering the courts, and okay. I, I cover uh, the courts in St. Louis and the eastern half of Missouri and the Metro East for a an organization called Courthouse News Service. I've worked for them for 15 years. They're a great company. Uh, We cover courts, politics, um, uh, that kind of thing. And I still do uh, freelance sports writing on the side. So I cover Blues and Cardinals for Associated Press. I cover high school sports for the Post-Dispatch. and uh, So I get the best of both worlds, so to speak. Okay. So are you really into sports? Love sports. Oh, do you? Yeah. Actually, in this time of great division in this country, it's a great uniter. You know, especially in this city. I, I always said St. Louis doesn't do a lot of things right. We don't do jobs right. We don't do education right, roads. But the one thing that brings us together is sports. You know, you look at when the Rams won in 99. You look at when the Cardinals would go on their World Series runs. You look at last year with the Blues, and it was white and black. It was rich and poor. It was educated, non-educated, old and young, all together. And, you know, I, I think there's very few things in our society that brings us together like that and unfortunately you know it kind of ties into why we're probably talking today it's like you know, i think we can both agree that we would hope that faith would be that uniter and unfortunately it it, it can tend to divide then unite um and and that's a shame mm-hmm. so um you're a so you're a christian i've i've gotten that just by yes, sir. The, the brief things we've said to one another. And um, so tell me, um, did you grow up as a Christian? Yes, sir. I uh, grew up in a uh, Catholic home. Uh, my grandfather was actually studying to be a priest. He was in seminary when he met my grandmother, and oh. he left the seminary. But he kept that priest mentality uh, as he raised the family. And, you know, um, I was very close with him growing up, and he, you know, really set that spiritual foundation for me. Uh, when he died when I was 13, um, there was nobody there to make me go to church anymore, so I kind of rebelled. I was grieving. I you know, asked the typical questions of, a, of an immature person of, of faith of, why God did you do this, that kind of thing, and used it as an excuse to go my own way. And quite honestly, that was the worst period of my life. I made bad decisions. I, you know, was in a dark place. And it really wasn't until I came back to the church as a uh, Protestant um, in my early 20s that I didn't truly find, you know, happiness. And and, and that's kind of where we met is, you know, he was, you know, Dave was talking about, you know, this spiritual self-help stuff that's very trendy today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just couldn't help but interject. I'm like, yeah, I do the same thing, but... It, for me, it's reading my Bible every day and mm-hmm. setting the tone there. And, uh, you know, it's it's been a, a crazy journey, and it's still going on, um, especially with what's going on today, you know, in, in politics and 
you know, how it should or shouldn't relate to our faith and, and so on. So in your household, it was your grandfather and grandmother. Um, who else was a part of your household? Um, well, my mom had me when she was 17 years old. So okay. and my parents divorced when I was one. So she moved back home. I so see. Okay. I had, um, she was part of five siblings and okay. she was the second oldest and most of them still lived at home. So they were more like older brothers and sisters to me. And we were all raised. You okay. know, I mean, to me, I had two sets of parents, my grandparents and my mom. You know, and they were all very instrumental. You know, and even my aunts and uncles were very, it was like a village. You know, and uh, I gained something from each of them, and uh, I'm part of an even bigger family. We have cousins all over the place. We're all still in St. Louis for the most part, and mm-hmm. you know, um, it's it's truly you know a village mentality when it comes to our family, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, and it was funny when I came back to the church. They're still all very devout Christ, uh, Catholics, and okay. I have nothing against that faith. Um, I think it's a beautiful faith uh, when it's not marred by man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, but it just didn't reach me. Um, I, I kind of equate it to different learning styles. Uh, you know, some kids learn more in an unstructured environment than versus a structured environment. We're all on the same team, though. And uh, so um, when I came back, uh, I actually started going to a very small Presbyterian church ended up at a non-denominational church where I spent probably about 15 years mm-hmm. until recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and now I've started attending another non-denominational church. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, and my faith has been uh, very central to, uh, you know, how I conduct myself as not only a reporter, as we've discussed, but as a husband, as a, as a, now a fiance, I'm getting married in November, uh, a father and a friend, you know, son, cousin, brother. You know, I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it's very central to me. So are you pretty um, versed in, like, uh, Catholicism and what Catholics believe and so forth or not so much um you know i i could probably you know if i'm if i'm back in in the church oh yeah we do that you know i mean Mm -hmm. off the top of my head probably not because it's been 30 years since i've okay you know really been a a practicing catholic Mm -hmm. um you know i and again you know it's you know, I, I still, my family's all Catholic and, you know, God bless them. And, and, you know, I think we're all going to the same place because of our belief. But, uh, you know, it, it, for me, it's just, I, I was challenged more by my, you know, to get into the Bible and to, you know, really further my walk with Jesus just with where I'm going to church now. Right. Um, sometimes when I talk with other um, Protestants about, Roman Catholicism, um, the impression that they have is that Catholics is like a work-based type of religion as far as like getting to heaven, um, you know, depends upon works and, um, and, but even Protestants believe that works have to go along with faith to show that the faith is, is true. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have had that same kind of attitude sometimes. Like you just punch your clock, you say your your prayers, and, mm-hmm. and you know, boom, you're you're in a, as a Catholic. And um, and, and it, as I've learned as a Protestant, though, you know, it is not only confessing your faith with your lips, but you know, once you do that, the Holy Spirit should move your heart to act as such, and. Quite frankly, that's why I'm really concerned about, you know, our current political climate and how it pertains to faith. Um, You know, right now, 80% of evangelicals, you know, are conservative. And, you know, usually you try to keep both out, uh, the two away, because, you know, a perfect God wants nothing to do with such a corrupt you know, system from both parties, you know, let's, let's face it. But, you know, 
I think that we're getting into a situation with the way that our current administrations run that the two almost can't be separated. Um, Andy Stanley, uh, a well-known pastor, mm-hmm. uh, recently had a, a, a series on politics and faith, and he said something very profound that I completely agree with, and it's that our politics shouldn't define our faith. Our faith should define our politics. Mm-hmm. And what, I, what I'm concerned in talking to some of my brothers and sisters, and some, you know, not all, and um, that they are unknowingly worshiping Washington, D.C. instead of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if you look at studies after studies, I mean, as Christians, we all know we're one generation away from the religion dying off. If we don't pass it down to our kids and they don't pass it down to their kids, it's over. You know, you look at where it is in Europe right now, and it, you know, it, it stopped getting passed down. You have these beautiful churches that are empty all over the continent, and it's sad. Um, but if you look at the studies here in America, and not only is Catholicism losing people my age and younger in droves, but now, for the first time, it's starting to affect the evangelical sex. And, and because he, traditionally they were immune to it. And a lot of them are leaving because of lack of, you know, a perceived lack of, you know, um, acceptance of progressive issues, you know, such as, you know, homosexuality, um, women's reproductive rights, legalization of marijuana. And I'm not, by no means, am I saying that we should do a 180 on those issues. But what I'm saying is we need to kind of look at it. Because, you know, my main passion is, you know, having a faith as strong as possible and sharing that with as many people as I can. I don't want, you know, and I fear that, you know, if we don't at least change our attitudes and tones somewhat, that we can start losing and, and, and missing people that might be ripe to hear the message, that just haven't heard it in the right way. Okay, so... Um so I'm not familiar with statistics and, and stuff like that, but so you're saying that it's these kind of um, liberal social issues that the church has kind of take, traditionally taken a stand on mm-hmm. that um, is kind of um, turning people off from the church, and we're mainly talking about the evangelical church, I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, well, what about... Um, so how would you? Ha- how should things be done differently? Like, um, should uh, you know these th- things not um, be d- dealt with, or, or well, what? you know, it's a very sensitive subject. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've gone round and round uh, with you know, some, some people in my former church, and you know, quite frankly. I left that church because I just didn't feel like I fit into the culture there anymore after 15 years. And um, it was suggested to me by some that, you know, maybe I don't, didn't, you know. And um, when I started, and this wasn't even in the context of um, Christianity, but when I started, you know, expressing some of my views politically, you know, um, because when I first came to the non, you know, uh, the Protestant sect, even though I was raised in a liberal household, I was a Republican. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I was one. Of, I think it was one of the ways I rebelled from my family, and so I was like your typical Protestant, you know, Republican and you know, conservative, family values, that kind of thing, um, and, and a, a myriad of circumstances started to get me to reconsider my opinion. One of them was covering the Ferguson uh, protests. Hmm. Um, I grew up in North County. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Bridgeton, 10-15 minutes away from Ferguson. Mm-hmm. We played them in Little League. Mm-hmm. I thought I knew Ferguson. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And only a madman refuses to change his stance when presented with alternative facts. And you know, I kept hearing story after story of a different 
experience, you know, and a lot of it had to do with the color of one's skin. And, you know, again, my faith, you know, like if we're all made in God's image, well, why do we have these kind of different experiences? Well, what's going on here? And, um, you know, so it got me really reevaluating how, what my attitudes were towards it and how I should respond as a Christ follower. And uh, then I covered the Trump rally, uh, the Trump political rally during his campaign at Peabody Opera House for uh, my work. And um, still walking in that building, I consider myself a Republican. I left that building knowing I wouldn't vote for the man. Now, I I didn't vote for his main opponent. I (laughs) voted third party. Still, I couldn't bring myself to go to the other side. (laughs) Um, But just the hate. Mm-hmm. And vitriol and anger and fear that he was promoting that building and, uh, and just the toxic energy. I'm like, this is not what God wants. This is not what Jesus wants. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't do it. And to me, it's gotten worse. And I think it's almost getting to the point where for the first time, we may have to take a stand to save our witness because you know and I know the whole we need to you know be cons- good conservative Christians to you know for you know to save unborn babies and you know for our, our gun rights which I always thought was interesting when you brought it bring it into a religious um, arena because you know if we're for unborn life and you know, by definition an extension for all life then how are we for guns, which by definition are only meant to destroy life? <laughs> it never made sense to me. But that's another you know, tangent. Um, but if we're going to be for life, then how can we ignore kids in cages at the border? How can we ignore a broken foster system? Mm-hmm. How can we ignore... You know, if you want more kids born, how can you ignore giving them resources such as you know food stamps and educational opportunities in poor communities which you know quite honestly that's a a chunk of the women seeking abortion because they feel like they have no other ways to you know to support this baby and what i've personally found in as a christian is you know we're all for an unborn baby to get that baby born. But once that baby's born, then it becomes a freeloader on the system and a moocher. Get a job. And to me, the, the I, I don't think that's what Jesus wants us to do. And when I started, you know, expressing some of these views and expressing, you know, pro-media views especially, <laughs> I was actually attacked. Pro uh, media views, yes, oh, like okay. defending the media from oh, the fake see. news attacks and stuff. Okay, um, I was right. actually attacked by members, friends. I used, I people I thought were friends of my church, mm-hmm. and um, at church, literally, like I, you know, I remember one day, and this guy, this person was a member of our church band, and and I, had, it was right after the Ashagi murder, and I I posted some stuff like you know. Hey, you know, this is awful. You know, as a journalist, it, you know, it, it affects us. And uh, he, he came up to me as he's like, going to stage, and he's like, "You okay? You okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, what do you mean?" And he's like, "You're not all. You're all in one piece, right?" And he just walked off. And like I had. Uh, it didn't sink in for another minute or so until he was like, actually on stage what he was doing. And he was actually making fun of a poor man being dismembered and then going on stage and singing about Jesus. Hmm. I'm like, what's going on here? And that was just the first part of it. And, and the attacks just got worse and worse. And I've just, you know, it, it hurts my heart as a Christian because, you know, to me, that's an example of worshiping DC instead of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you know, I we talked earlier about those social justice justice issues. Mm-hmm. I, I 
I think those are all kind of window dressing, so to speak. I think the real issue is young people are smart enough to see a Christian saying one thing and, and walking into church, raising his hands and saying hallelujah, and then walking out those doors for the other six days of the week and doing completely other things. And, you know, I think that's in a nutshell. And, you know, you, you and I, I know that this isn't a political arena, but you support a man who mocks widows, who puts children in cages, who you know, calls his enemies names, who you know tries to fire anybody who goes against him, and it can't help but translate into your faith. And that's just my opinion. You know, I'm sure there's people who will disagree with me, and that's the beauty of this country. But that's just my experience. Well, that's kind of um, dealing with like um, polit- you know, the political way things are. Like evangelicals align with you know, uh, stereotypically you know, align with President Trump and so forth, mm-hmm. and and those things. What about those issues? Like um, you mentioned, how you know, um, like. Um, homosexuality and mm-hmm. stuff like that or homosexual marriage and you know mm-hmm. things like that um, do you see um, like I can see a problem with um, the church being so aligned with some of these things that the church might stand against that it's like that's the first thing people think of when they you know think of Absolutely. the church and I can see that there would be a, a problem with that but um what what do you think about these issues? Like, um, should the church um, deal with them? If so, how? Like, for example, you know, just take the the issue of um, you know homosexuality and, and things. Yeah, let's, let's, I mean, definitely, it's a hot button topic. Mm-hmm. And in my former church, it was a very hot button topic. Um, I, you know, I'm going to be, you know, completely transparent here. I've got friends, I've got loved ones, family members who are a member of the LGBTQ community. So I've grappled with this issue mm-hmm. um, as a Christian because, you know, there are some verses in the Bible that are pretty blunt mm-hmm. about, you know, the, the feeling of that. Um, at the same time, I've talked with fellow gay Christians and they interpret those same verses completely differently. Um, and it's fascinating to me. Um, now, the one thing we can all agree on is that we, it, it, neither, none of us are in the position to judge anybody. That's G- Jesus and God's, you know, job at the throne. Um, and, and I think that's where we tend to get off the rails on this topic. We start becoming the judges now, and I can give you a couple examples. I made a post on my Facebook page, and it said, "I would rather be excluded for who I include than included for who I exclude," and it had a rainbow stripe of hearts on it. I had breakfast a week or so later with one of the pastors of my church, and he specifically asked me what I meant by that. I'm like, I meant exactly what it said. <laughs> and he was disturbed that I would post something like that because he was worried that, you know, I was accepting of, I guess because he was worried I was, you know, believing the quote-unquote lie of homosexuality. And, you know, I, I just kind of changed the subject because I didn't think Chick-fil-A in the middle of the morning was a very good venue to maybe have his head explode but (laughs) um, you know I think that you know there's and I'll never begrudge a church for believing that you know it's a lie society's trying to perpetrate that it's okay and stuff like that And, and I'm sure that there's elements of truth to that but I think that you know for as much as the church wants to point to science as reasons for uh, to rid people, America of abortion, you know, 
may scientifically keep these babies alive longer, blah, blah, blah. I also think science points to the fact that there's definitely a, you know, a, a DNA correlation to homosexuality. And so to ignore one and mix up the other, I think, can be disingenuous. Um, does it make it right? Does it make it wrong? Again, I don't think, for me, it's my right to judge. My job, as what God has laid out to me, is to love. Period. And I firmly believe that when you accept Jesus into your heart and that Holy Spirit comes on you, it changes you in ways that you would never imagine. And it's no different for a gay person. Now, maybe the Holy Spirit's will is to change him into a straight person. Maybe the Holy Spirit's will is to say, I've got something more important for you. Maybe I need you to reach these people who are struggling in my name. Who are we to try to limit the Holy Spirit and what it can, can and cannot do? And I think that's kind of where a lot of churches get stuck. And I think because they're getting stuck we're missing a whole group of people that can really do miracles in the name of Jesus. You mentioned like a correlation between DNA. So I'm not a scientist, so I don't know, but that's, that's not the impression I get when I'm talking with people, even with, um, or listening to people, even people who are homosexual. Like, are you familiar with Douglas Murray? No, I'm not. Okay. So he's a British guy who's uh, a gay fella. Um, but he, um, you know, and he was expressing just the mystery of, you know, why are some people gay and some people not? But um, the, um, but I guess the the matter is not so much like, I mean, but whether it's DNA or whether or whatever it is, it sure seems that some people have that, you know proclivity to like uh, be attracted sexually to people of the right. same sex and, and I've got an example I know identical twins mm-hmm. same experiences growing up mm-hmm. same friends mm-hmm. same everything one is your typical American man with the wife the two kids the dog the other's gay mm-hmm. you know I mean I have another example like I, there was a girl in my former church who came out as a lesbian all of her friends were in that church all of her experiences were in that church and I find it impossible to believe that she would risk getting shunned by all of that with by just trying to be trendy quote unquote so to speak as many churches believe it it is you know I just to me that you know, that shows that there is definitely a, you know, proclivity. I mean, is there a DNA link? No, I mean, there hasn't been one established yet. Could I, would I be surprised if down the road there is? Absolutely not. Um, you know, could it be as something as simple as, you know, as a heterosexual person, I'm, a, you know, my fiance is a redhead. I like, you know, I like redheads, you know. You know, maybe you like a brunette more. You know, I mean, could it be that? I don't know. You know, again, my job is to love, mm-hmm. regardless. Right. right. Um, and I guess for me, the question, the really difficult question is, um, well, if someone is um, homosexual and, um, and they're a follower of Jesus, then what does that mean? How do they live and that's a tough thing to um, to deal with um, because of you know some of those um, you know the passages like you you had were referring to in the Bible and so forth but there are just as many passages um, that they can point to um, I was reading Acts 15 uh, this past week and it talks about the Council of Jerusalem and the 
early question of the church of whether you need to be circumcised or not to receive right. the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. And thank God for all of us who are not Jewish that right. they came up with that answer. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people um, in that community hold on to that verse because it's like, no, this is, this is just an example of, that everybody's welcome to the, to right. the uh, table. Also, if you look in... Um, uh, it's a passage when uh, is it uh, Peter uh, goes up to the eunuch on the road. Right. Um, I was, sometimes I get my Peters and Pauls mixed up, sorry. Mm-hmm. And he's a eunuch. And if you look at the cultural um, significance of that of the time, a eunuch would be considered sexually queer to that society. Well, he, um, he would... Um you know, I don't know about this. I just it just came to my head right when you were saying that he could possibly be considered like an outsider for a Jew. You know, as far as like associating with someone unclean. Mm-hmm. But like, I was kind of under the impression that eunuchs eunuchs were more of like um, castrated for the purpose of serving um, in some you know official uh, position, and they would be. Um, more faithful in that position if they were not like uh, have this typical passions and desires of a typical male, you know? Yeah. Um, and I actually had some you know, prepared some notes on that because you know that's the traditional teaching on okay. it. Um, you know, but sometimes uh, you know some of the readings I've heard, and again th- these are all interpretations mm-hmm. um, that you know some biblical times, you know sometimes were ostracized because of their failure to adhere to sexual norms because they didn't have anything. You know, I mean, they were castrated for a specific purpose, but then the, the community at large sometimes ostracized them. Well, what are we doing today with the homosexual community as Christians? And so I think that there are some correlations that can be rendered for that community with that, that passage, you know, and again, that's the beauty of the Bible. It's like you could take one passage and read it the same day every year, and it might mean something completely different with where you're at in your life, with you know your experiences, with what you've learned about those times. Yeah, yeah. There. Um, well, the Bible speaks to us spiritually, but there. Are, but it's kind of on the other hand, it's not like a an up-for-grabs type of passage where it could, you know, mean this or that. There is, like, a correct historical understanding to try to yes. aim for and, and get to. Completely agree with that. Yeah, but the... Um, well, um, what is, um, you know, the focus of the church, or, like, what should people um, think of when they... Um, what's, what, what would... What would you say should be the uh, focus of the church's uh, message, or um, you know, what is that very the crux of Christianity to you, and you know, the very center of it? Man, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, yeah, I think in the most simplest terms, we should be focused on Jesus' greatest commandment. You know. Mm-hmm. Love, you know, love your God with all your heart. Second yeah. one, love your neighbor as you would yourself. You know, mm-hmm. that right there. It, followed by, you know, I didn't come to condemn the world; I came to save the world. In John, mm-hmm. and um, I think t- it's easy for us as Christians to, you know, take someone else's sin. It's the old verse of, you know, you hypocrite, why do you, you know, worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own? And it's easy for us to say, oh, I'm not homosexual, that's that's worse than what I'm doing. And it does remind me of a conversation I had with that same pastor I had breakfast with. And we were talking about this very issue. And I'm like, in all honesty, you know, Pastor, I bought a house with my fiance. Technically, we were living in sin. How is, uh, you know, how is this not worse than a homosexual? 
He's like, well, and he actually tried to make a case that homosexuality is not a worse sin than what I was doing. I'm like, but I'm knowingly sinning, you know, and, you know, again, that's where grace, God's grace comes in. But, you know, I, I, I think that sometimes if we, we need to like focus on sin being sin and, you know, when, as I read the, the New Testament, especially when Paul was out among the Gentiles and among the Jews trying to spread the word of the gospel, we need to meet people where they're at first. Because once you establish that common ground, that's what, what Paul did every time. You know, he was an amazing um, uh, messenger of Jesus' word because of that. He could read his audience. He could find the common ground and then move on from that. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, and I know the old, uh, and I, I'm going back to that old church's saying, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. But in my experiences with the gay community, if we truly want to reach them, we better ditch that. Because that whole line is very offensive to them. They don't view what they're doing as a sin. They view it as love. Now, what we think about that can be completely different. But their perception is their reality. So if we want to meet them on common ground and show them Jesus' love, we might need to re-examine some of our attitudes and just ways to engage you know, without, you know, necessarily changing the message, but packaging it in a way to where we're not condemning and we're not judging. And, you know, I'll stand by what I said. Like I, and I know a lot of people will disagree with me on this. I believe a homosexual can get to heaven, maybe even easier sometimes than a judgmental, hypocritical, critical heterosexual. You know, it, it, God cares about your heart, I think, more than anything. Because I can even take it in a, a, a different way. I can make a case that whether or not homosexuality is a sin is moot because we all fall short in one way or another every day that we live. But God's grace covers us. And who are we to deny that grace to somebody and like I said before the Holy Spirit could change them the Holy Spirit will change them in certain ways maybe unexpected ways maybe great ways who knows but who are we to withhold that so um, something you mentioned was um, comparing like you were talking with this particular pastor and you were comparing your, your own actions like um, and I guess you're living with your fiance, yes. like, and that this is not like different, a, you know, degree of sin or something than like yeah. homosexual activity or something like right. that. And um, so, what are your th- like thoughts about that? As far as like, so you know, I hear that, and it's a little bit jarring, like, n- kind of in an off-topic way of like, well, what about you and like living with your fiance if you feel like it's sin then um, then how do you reconcile just you know living in that way um, or do you not feel like it's sin or um, you know you can do mental gymnastics for anything you do yeah. um, you know we we are engaged we have a wedding date you know you know and you know, we we both talked about this, and you know, it, it's a it's a struggle. You know, and I'm gonna be transparent. Like, you know, you can you can do the gymnastics, but you know, the Bible does you know specifically state, you know, and it's not the only way I fall short every day. You know, there's you know, I, I struggle with pride. I struggle with anxiety, which is a direct lack of faith sometimes. You know, I. But I, I don't think I'm alone. I think that that's part of the experience as a Christian. And, you know, 
I really it didn't really dawn on me that you know that about that until that conversation popped up and you know I'm, I'm reading these scriptures and and I'm like wow but you know again I just trust that God knows my heart and he knows I'm not perfect and you know he knows I'm trying to do the right thing and you know it may come off as hypocritical as I sit here and, and worry about our faith and and being transparent and stuff like that but again you know I'm not gonna you know uh, try to hide the glass house I live in either you know I, I think one of the problems we have as Christians is we try to present this perfect front for people mm-hmm. and I think people really appreciate it when we're honest about where we fall short and you know and we, we share about how God's helped us with that and I think you know with me coming to that I think you know and praying about about that I think God is is helping me you know be a better father be a better husband you know be a better partner through this because I'm trying to concentrate on on you know on what his love truly means yeah and the jarring part was not so much like um it was not so much like well, I'm doing this because it's probably pretty common. The most, the more jarring part was like, um, well, this is sin, and I'm doing it, you know, like uh, kind of confessing it as sin. Mm-hmm. But I guess when it comes to, but you know, I recognize, and I'm a sinner as well, that I fall short. And um, I guess when it comes to like sin and Christianity, the way that I'm, I understand the New Testament is like um, there is, there has to be a willingness to turn from sin. Like I'm thinking of the um, Sermon on the Mount, for example. But at the same time, you know, from my experience, we uh, I trip up over and over again, and sometimes over the same things. Absolutely. And um, and in that same sermon, there's that the Lord's Prayer, which says, you know, uh, forgive us of our trespasses. So. Um, Evidently, you know, it's understood we need to come to God for forgiveness and so forth. But I think there, um, it seems like there has to be, um, but but the idea of um, like grace being ex- an excuse for sin, that seems contrary because I think it's in Jude where um, it's... Uh, there's a mention something about like um, licentiousness. I mean, a grace being an excuse for licentiousness. Like this is a perversion of that, that grace. You know, right. I'm kind of saying it in my own words. So it seems like um, you know we've been freed from the power of sin. Like before we experience God, it's like we're a slave to it. It's like it's just all we know. But now, once we've um, been impacted by that message well by forgiveness really and it's a spirit thing spiritually communicated to us where it's like god lifts that guilt from us and we learn about um jesus and the cross and that you know he died for our sins and there's like forgiveness and stuff like that it's like now we're free um to follow him and to leave sin behind it's a progressive thing or that's how I've experienced it. Like in a lot of ways, it's we are, but we keep returning to it sometimes in, in various aspects of our lives. Unfortunately, yeah. it does seem like that. Um, you know, <laughs> and and again, I mean, it's like you know, it, it's a continuous struggle. Uh, but I think that there's a a power in that struggle. You know, I I think that by acknowledging our weakness. You know, that's when we can let God come in and change our changes, huh. and that's definitely not the only area I fall woefully short at. And um, you know, it's thankfully it's you know when we accept Jesus, it's not like a one-time deal. You know, that's just the start of it. You know, we're we're on this path with Him for the rest of our lives, and He only lights 
it gives us enough light for that next step on that path. And that's where the faith comes in. And to just take that next step and take that next step. And, you know, we may stumble, but just keep taking that next step. Keep getting back up. Uh, it's like the prodigal son um, story, you know. When we deny God, you know, through our actions, through our attitudes, through our words, you know, he's just waiting for us to just even glance his way, and he'll come running after us like the father did to the prodigal son. And to me, that's a love that's incomprehensible as a human, and that's the power of God's love. You know, I, I struggle with, you know, you know, with the with parts of that Corinthians passage about love, about like, you know, holding, you know, a past record of wrongs and rights and stuff. Well, you know, he did this, said this. No, <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed to be. And, um, you know, there's a freeing aspect in that when, you know, you know you've taken a step, but, you know, at the other, you know, at the same time, there's another step to be taken too. There's always another step to be taken, and not to mention every time you take a step, Satan's ready to try to trip you up too, because he doesn't want you to take those steps. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever noticed when you take a step through in your faith, something negative tends to come about, whether it's a fight, whether it's bad news or something. And I firmly believe that, you know. There's a, a constant spiritual warfare going on for our hearts and minds between God and Satan. And Satan doesn't want us to take those steps. But when we do, and we, and we pull through his attacks while doing it, that's, that's truly moving on in our faith. I think there is a spiritual warfare. Sometimes I, I don't know exactly how to think of it. Like, I, I think that... Um, there's um, satanic um, uh, influence over culture, and like we can, we're tempted to be swept up into it and stuff like that. Absolutely. And we need to resist that and so forth. I would never touch a Ouija board. Yeah, never. I mean, um, yeah, I've actually had a conversation, and I don't know where I fall on this, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if it is true that science is. You know, like we can only see in three dimensions as a as a human, but science has proven there are many more dimensions out there. So, you know, I had one person tell me, "Well, you ever like maybe think you see something out of the corner of your eye or, or whatever? That could be another dimension." And I'm like, "It seems a little far fetched, but you know, maybe in those other dimensions, that's where that warfare is going, happening, and we're kind of shielded. Our eyes are shielded from it because it would drive us insane, but to see it." But that's how much God loves us. He's constantly fighting for us. Um, so I have um, a niece who lives in California. So I don't see her much. I don't have much interaction with her. But she, um, you know, she's been kind of gone through the transgender thing and mm-hmm. changed her name. And um, I guess at this point, taking hormones and stuff and things yeah. like that. So, um, you know, I don't know, like, when I'll have interaction with her or if, or if not her, it'll be somebody else. But, um, so there's, like, the struggle of, um, you know, of course, a person like that wants us to, um, you know, refer to them as, like, a different gender than what they biologically are and so forth. And um, so there's the matter of... um, you know, being kind to them, loving to them, but as well as being faithful and true to yourself and what you believe about things. And um, do you have any thoughts about how, you know, to navigate struggles like that? Well, it's a very tricky situation. And I feel, my heart breaks for people that are transgender because if you look at suicide rates, um, you know there, there's a higher suicide rate in general among the LGBTQ community than the heterosexual community. But when you look at transgender, even post-op, 
it's even much higher than the average for the for your average homosexual. I mean, these people are hurting. They're hurting really, really bad. And um, if we are Christians, we believe God doesn't make mistakes. And we are all made in God's image. And God loves these people. And we need to love these people. Um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence you asked that question. I'm reminded... I was reading Acts. I've been reading Acts this, this month. And mm-hmm. so, um, Acts, uh, either 21 or 22. I read both chapters today, but it was 21. And um, Paul was in Jerusalem and, you know, he's being accused of all these different things. And uh, the brothers there say, hey, come purify, shave your head so you can witness these people. And, and Paul didn't feel called to do that, but he did it so he could become all things to all people, so he could reach some people. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we can kind of maybe take a lesson in that when we're interacting with a, maybe a transgender person and trying to be understanding. You know, not offending them by refusing to acknowledge their new name or whatever. Um, but also being firm that, hey, I love you, and Jesus loves you, you know, no matter what. And I, I'm not, a, you know, I don't have, you know, I'm not some enlightened guru on the topic or anything. I'm just a guy just trying to figure out like you are. But, you know, I think love covers a multitude of, of shortcomings and, and sins and I know it sounds cliche but especially this group they don't feel the love in general and I think a little love a little you know grace uh, grace in a different term than God's grace you know mm-hmm. uh, could go a long way to maybe changing their life around I mean It, what's the alternative? <laughs> I mean, you know, rejecting them and then rejecting any chance that you'd have to maybe witness to them or, or you know, extend, you know, show them true love. I, I know which one I'd rather take. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, how's your new church? Um, I'm, I'm kind of treading lightly with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to really like it. Uh, they have some different kind of um, faith practices it's a lot more um, uh, what's the term um, a lot more um, energetic I guess with praise a lot more hands in the air a lot mm-hmm. more you know amen hallelujah during the sermon um, that kind of thing um, but I feel like it's a place where God's put me um this is a time of excitement, but it's also kind of a time where I, f- I feel like I'm, I'm vulnerable as a Christian because, um, you know, I don't have that in, you know, that, that network. Like when I, the funny thing about my fiance and I is we met online and then on our first date we figured out we both went to the same church, but we just went to different services. And so like, um, we'd been passing each other probably in the hallways in between services for years and never said a word to each other until we met online. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just funny how God put you together. And um, then she, when she started seeing me at church after we started dating, she's like, you know everybody. <laughs> well, you know. Um, but I don't have that at this new church. And, you know, obviously being at a, one place for 15 years, you have a, a small group, you have, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, my small group pretty much ghosted me, you know, towards the end and at my old church. And, you know, I, because of those experiences, I'm, I'm treading lightly. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to like it, but I'm just like, okay, when's the other shoe going to drop? You know, when, when does... When do I see what they're really like? You know, um, but so far so good. I, um, 
the scriptures are definitely Bible-based, which is very important to me. Um, the pastor seems extremely sincere in his messages. Um, you know, and one message in particular that he gave stood out. You know, he was, and you know, and I don't expect. And we talked a little bit about how politics and faith kind of are intersecting. Don't get me wrong. I don't want a pastor on stage saying how you should vote. That's mm-hmm. not what I want. I don't think that's what anybody really wants. That's not mm-hmm. what we go to church for. But, you know, he said something from the, the pulpit. He's like, you know, we look, you know, there are a lot of people who follow certain people in our society because they, quote unquote, tell it like it is. And I think we can all easily draw a conclusion who we might be referring to. But he said, we should be following somebody who should tell us, who tells us what it could be. You know, Jesus didn't stare at the mountain and say, oh, there's a mountain there. We're going to probably have to climb it and get the, you know, this is going to be really hard. You know, I don't know if we can do this. No. Just like, no, here's a mountain. Here's how I'm going to move it. And, you know, I think that we have to be very careful, no matter if it's politics or pop culture or even our circle of friends. What type of people are we surrounding ourselves with? Who are we following on Facebook? What kind of emotions do we get? I read a great book um, recommended to me by a friend named Ashley uh, called Believe Me, The Evangelical Road to Donald Trump by John Fee. And it talks about the cycle of fear politics and how it goes in with faith. And I'm thinking more in the abstract after reading the book, how much our fear dictates our faith. And it shouldn't be that way. Jesus himself said, fear not. I've overcome the world. And so many Christians, I think, live with that constant fear of, oh, this might be taken from me or I might, you know, if they knew this about me, they wouldn't like me or, you know, and it shouldn't be that way. You know, I mean, once you, you, you know, sin has all of its power over you in the darkness. When you put it into the light, it loses all of its grip on you. When you confess it, there's a power in confessing your sins. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus knew that. The, the disciples knew that. And I think deep down, we all know that as Christians, but it's, sometimes it's the hardest thing we can do. Well, yesterday I kind of was um, coming up with like questions that I thought would be interesting, and uh, I just made some of these cards. Let's just look through them and see if there's any that um, you would like to me to ask you. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'll go with the the daily and weekly routines because I think that's what kind of got us started here. Okay. And, uh, you know, this past year has been a great year of change for me. I've, I've been in a great transition period in my life, getting uh, divorced and um, getting back in the dating scene. And, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, it, it's it's been a crazy last few years, and especially this past year when I'm buying and selling a house and combining families and we're like the Jefferson County Brady Bunch. And um, I got out of healthy routines and my weight spiked up. I was, you know, constantly moody and stressed. And, you know, I think the clinical term is getting emotionally deregulated. And, you know, it's... And it's pretty simple. Like for me, and, and what I got back to, especially after the first of the year, um, my fiance and I are training for a half marathon. And because she felt it too. And for me, my healthy routine is not only taking care of myself spiritually, but physically as well. And I think both are equally important. And so my perfect day, and granted, it, it doesn't go that way. I probably I average four or five days out of the week where it starts this way, you know, and those are my best days of the week. No coincidence. But, uh, I wake up, 
And uh, thankfully, my job is pretty flexible, especially in the mornings, ex- except on Mondays um, or when I have a podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, I can kind of ease into the morning a little bit. Uh, the kids get off. You know, the last one leaves for the bus at eight, and that's when I turn off the TV and open my Bible. I spend about a half hour reading, praying, journaling, and uh, then I turn my attention to the physical stuff. And I start drinking my pre-workout drink, get myself ready for the gym, go to the gym, have a good workout, go to the sauna, meet interesting people like yourself, and then uh, go home. And like that, to me, sets the tone for my day. And it's Jesus first, and then physical health second. Mm-hmm. And I do that for several different reasons. One, you know, I'm trying to get better at giving Jesus my first fruits. And I'm, I'm still woefully short on that, you know, in various areas of my life. I'm, you know, I, I tend to fall, you know, I, as a normal person, oh, when things are bad, Jesus, 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 when things are good, okay, Jesus, I got this, go ahead and, and take a break. You know, and that's the worst thing you can do. You know, because then I know in my experience, I'll just drive that car right into a ditch. <laughs> and then it's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So if I do Jesus first, it sets the tone for the day. And, and more often than not, when I'm in the gym and I've got my music in my headphones and I'm working, I'm still thinking about the Bible verses I read. I'm still you know, kind of like almost in a meditative prayer type state, you know, kind of talking to Jesus. What are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to, you know, work through me? And it really puts me in a good headspace. And I've learned that my workouts improve because of that. So I'm getting a better workout then. So I'm feeling better physically. And there's something special about working out. You know, it releases chemicals in your brains. It's a great antidepressant. It's a great stress reliever. But I know as somebody who just struggles with anxiety constantly, that when you're going through those troubles, those those trials, the last thing you want to do is get off the couch. It's almost paralyzing. The last thing you want to do is open up that Bible, but it's the best medicine for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if I can just start it off before any of those okay. negative thoughts creep into my okay. head, it okay. keep for the most part, it keeps them okay. at bay for most of the day. And, you know, it really sets the tone. And then I find that I'm a better worker. I'm a better you know, soon-to-be husband. You know, I'm a better father. I'm a better friend. I'm a you know better family member. I'm just a better person. And you know, so I really think that it's important to set your you know and, and speaking to a Christian audience to set you know whether it is um, starting the day or ending your day you know in God's word. And sometimes I'll double up. Like, if I had a rough day and I've got some negative thoughts in my head, I'm get, trying to get better at, instead of Facebook, you know, on my phone before I go to bed. That's the worst thing you can do before you go to bed. The absolute worst thing because, you know, my friend calls it fake book. You know, either you're getting like some overly filtered pictures of everybody having a great time or, or you're getting somebody's political opinion or whatever. Um, I've been trying to do Bible uh, I'm, instead of the Facebook app. I'm trying to open my Bible app more, and you know, reading Bible plans. And you know, the best thing, the the nights you have the best sleep is when you fall asleep praying to God. And so, if you're having trouble sleeping, you know, that's better than any kind of medicine you could take, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, that's in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, Joe, it's been good to talk with you and get to know you better. So when's your when's the wedding? November. November. Okay. Yes. Cool. So um, we've got some big plans where it's going to be a destination wedding. Okay. So, wow. Um, we're actually going to get married in, in Las Vegas, but then we're going on a family cruise after that to Cozumel, where we're going to say special vows on the beach and stuff like that. And so it, it's going to be fun. Um, it's going to be crazy um, with four kids and passports and all that stuff. And But, you know, um, it's just going to be a fun year, though, because um, we're, uh, with this new church, we're all going, you know, uh, her, we have her kids the whole time. I get my kids every other weekend, so, you know, but we're, we're trying to set that tone, you know, and, 
um, it, it's fun because the kids are getting older and we're able to have more in-depth conversations with them about their faith and what their attitudes are and stuff and I'm just really looking forward to this year and what God has in store for me the both the triumphs and the trials you know and Paul says to rejoice that he deems you worthy to struggle and so you know there's going to be some some mountains and there's going to be some valleys but through it all Jesus is with us and you know that's what I'm looking forward to is you know seeing how far down that path I get this year. Well, thanks, Joel. Thank Appreciate you. your time. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.